Hello everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode in our series of Light Sensitivity Awareness Podcasts. My name's Rodney Mountain, and I'm here today with Professor Sally Ebbotson and Ryan Allison, one of our patients. We're recording from the Scottish Photobiology Service in the Photobiology Unit at Ninewells Hospital, and we're here today to discuss light sensitivity. This series of podcasts is a part of an ongoing patient engagement process that our service is involved in. We're trying to raise awareness of light sensitivity conditions in order to reduce the time that it takes for our patients to be referred to our service and also to improve the lives of our patients. So do you mind if we just start with a few introductions? Ryan, it'd be lovely to hear more about who you are and what you do. My name is Ryan. I come from Galashiels in the Scottish Borders. I've had solar urticaria since 2016. I was diagnosed 2017. So I was 43 when it started. Do you want me to go right back to the beginning? It'd be lovely uh, first to presentation. Really, yeah. Before I went on holiday every year, I'd have a little regime going for a couple of sunbeds to sort of get a base tan, get a bit of colour to save the burning when I went. I did this every year. 2016 October holiday, I started to notice a bit red and itchy after I'd come out the sun booth. I thought there was actually something wrong with the bulbs at the time. Did that for about a fortnight before my holiday. Had the holiday, no difference. Just a normal holiday, no sun reaction at all. So I put it down to the bulbs. When I returned from the holiday, I still had some credit at the sunbed place, so I thought I'd just keep the tan for a little bit longer. Um, but this time, I went in and I went completely red, stomach, inside the arms, inside the thighs, the kind of softer skin. Uh, went home, felt a wee bit dizzy and unwell, laid in the bed for probably 45 minutes to an hour. Rash went away and that was the end of my sunbed career. If I go forward maybe another six months, it was a warm spring day. Uh, my son was playing rugby and I had a t-shirt on. And I noticed some reddening in the arms then. It wasn't a particularly hot day, maybe 14, 15 degrees. That would be 2017. And then I realised that it wasn't just sunbeds, it was actually the sun that was causing this as well. So I went to my GP and tried to get a referral for a dermatologist. Mm -hmm. But the wait was seven months. So a queue jumped a little bit and I went private to Spire at Murrayfield. They did the consultation. Then my referral to Dundee, so it just sped up the process a little bit. And then got my photo testing done up here, and I was allergic to UVA and B. Right. So from the time of you being aware that something was wrong to actually finding out, how long was that before you knew what was wrong with you? I'm going to say I knew there was something wrong in 2016 at the end, but I didn't seek any medical till it was proven to myself, at least that it, the actual sun was causing it. So that would be spring 2016. You get a referral if you pay privately within a week or a fortnight. So that didn't take long. So maybe five or six months, I would say it took to get my diagnosis, which isn't too long, but it would have probably taken another seven months had I waited for an NHS dermatologist yeah, to do my referral. Yeah. So it cut a little bit the time out. And then once you were in the service and you were referred up here and the diagnosis made, what were the next steps? What followed? Well, you get tested on the light machine and 
a different combination of antihistamines and times are taken just to see what cocktail will work for you best. I take fixofenadine and I usually just take one, uh, 180 milligrams in the summertime. In the winter, I don't take anything at all. Okay, so you the winter sunlight, do you have any? Yes, but it's minimal. It's not too sunny. Cloudy days don't affect me at all. And you're usually well covered up in Scotland anyway, so I'll lose all my tolerance that I've built up, but I didn't see the point in taking tablets for six months for the odd day that you might get a red ear or the back of your hand yeah. goes red for a little while. It, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. So I take nothing in the winter at all. So it's the antihistamine, and then what other measures have you I take um, used? a sun cream, a mineral sun cream works great for me. Uh, the SunSense one in particular, but they've stopped making it. So in October when we went on holiday, I was looking for a substitute and I found a different kind. Again, it was a mineral sunscreen, but first day on holiday, our villa was about a mile away from the centre of town and I knew walking in with my shorts on that it wasn't working. I felt the tickle, I felt the itch, and lo and behold, it didn't work. So I had a small amount of the original stuff left, and I just had to nurse that along for the rest of the holiday. But So I, I am in the market for a new sunscreen until SunSense comes out again or I can find a suitable replacement. I'm really interested in that first feeling of a tickle and an itch. Is that the way you know yes. something's wrong? I'll know there's something, yes. Yeah. That's, that's... Almost like a little insect crawling on, and it, and it's over the whole area the sun's been out in. Mm -hmm. So I do get a kind of pre-warning. I mean, I couldn't just fry unknowingly. I would get a warning. So in that respect, it's good because I can then take steps to either come out the sun or cover up, but I know which areas are affected. Yeah. Sometimes even before you can see it, I can feel it. And has it affected you in other ways, you know, just your life, the things you do, your occupation, the things you do with your family? Work-wise, no. Family-wise, I suppose, yes, in a way. We pick our holidays to a time of year where my skin will have built up a tolerance. So we're still getting. I'll probably have to wear more clothes on holiday than normal. I mean, it's no swimming trunks at the pool anymore, but, I mean, that's not a great hardship. And I'll have to wear dark clothing or a dark T-shirt. By then, I'm I'm on a t-shirt and shorts I can wear with the sun cream. So I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt while I'm abroad, and I can be out all day, go sea fishing or whatever, but I have to make sure that if I've not got sun cream, that the clothing that I wear is going to be thick enough to prevent a reaction underneath. So the combination of the antihistamine... And either a UV clothing or a dark... UV clothing, yes, or the whole combination. Or dark, aye. Sometimes both. I sometimes put two black t-shirts on, but I'm still wearing a t-shirt, so it's yeah. it's fine. And in the, if you go in October, there's less daylight hours as well, so it's dark seven o'clock. So evening's so not an issue. Your time of year, yes, holidays. I still get the holiday, but I mean, I, I wouldn't go to a water park, for example. If the family go there for the day, I get the date myself. But by and large, small changes, no life changing things. No, thanks. Do you mind if we move across to Sally? And it'd be lovely to hear a little bit more. Thanks so much for coming, Ryan. There's a few things I'd love to follow up on with you as well, just before I sort of maybe just explain a little bit about some of the testing that you've had done and that yes. we've got available for patients. So with the light sensitivity, do you find that, what about a Scottish summer? We've mentioned a bit about times abroad, but how much does it impact on your Scottish summers or your working life? Here? On a sunny day. For me, to be honest, cloudy days don't really affect me at all. 
it has to be a bright sunny day or at least sun and cloud. And obviously in the summer you're wearing less clothes. So you're, you've got more skin that's open to the sun or the UV rays. So yes, I will still react in a Scottish summer, a nice sunny day, yes. Mm -hmm. So I still have to take the same steps that I would abroad over here as well. Yes. And what do you do for work in terms of does it limit you in your work? No, I mean, I work for a gas transporter, so I have to wear fireproof stuff. So, I mean, we can't wear T-shirts or anything. So, I mean, I'm covered up most of the time at work anyway. So, no, it, there's no impact at work at all. And if you're driving, for example, do you find that the light coming through the windows no, is a problem? never really had an issue with that either. Mm -hmm. So, no. if you've got tinted windows in the car? In the back of the car, yes. Yeah. But, I mean... In my work van, no, and uh, the front windows, no. And I haven't really noticed an issue with through the glass. Maybe the odd time at home, if I'm sitting on the couch, I can feel it coming through a little bit, but then I'll just shift the way I'm sitting. And you well, mentioned about layering on of the clothes. Just tell us a bit about the sorts of clothes that protect you and the sorts that I don't and a, how you found that out. I had a black Berghaus long sleeve top on on holiday and we were in the pool. I had the sleeves rolled up. But I'm not sure if the extra weight of the water pulls on the top and opens up the gaps a little bit. But my stomach went completely red underneath. Because I was in the pool most of the afternoon with the kids playing volleyball and whatnot. So the next day we were going sea fishing. And I thought, well, I'm in a pickle here because if it's not working here, it might be even worse at sea. So I wore the same top again, but it was dry this time. And I had a black t-shirt underneath. And I was away sea fishing all day. It was fine. It was great. So it's the layering that's important. What about the colour of it? Do you find that a light, light fabric... stuff is useless? Yeah. Aye. Light stuff is useless. Stripy stuff, you'll end up with red and white stripes right across your body or your back. So the, the white stuff, unless it's maybe a UV thing, uh, dark is, is definitely better. And in the summer months, how much exposure are we talking about to trigger a problem? Uh, I did a wee experiment this summer just to show the work guys. So we're on our lunch break. Lifted up the bottom of my top for exactly five minutes and it was pure red. Just the area that was out, just clear lines from what had been in the sun to what wasn't. So five minutes. So I don't know if four minutes would have been enough for three minutes, but certainly five was more than enough for stomach, stuff that's never out. And it was there straight away? Within the five minutes. And what does the rash look like? It's just a pure red shape of the area that's been in the sun. And is it raised up? I don't notice hives very much at all. I don't know if that's the antihistamine that prevents that, but I notice redness, I notice heat. Itching at times, yes, but not the hives. And I, how long will that last for? That could be there for two or three hours afterwards and then completely go. Completely go. Yes. And what do you think the antihistamine helps with, if it does at it all? It helps with the itch, I would say, because if I get itchy hands in the winter, they're blooming itchy. But in the summer less itchy and I think it's because I've not taken the antihistamine in the winter. And does that mean that you still get the rashes easily, it's just less itchy? or do you I think would say so, fun? yes. I think it just helps with the itch and, and potentially takes hives away. And you mentioned about hardening and how you get it more easily on bits that are not covered. Yes. By the time the summer comes, I so, could wear a t-shirt out all day with no sun cream. So tell us how you go about doing your hardening regime. It's just basically, as it gets warmer, a good thing's a body warmer because you can get your arms out a little bit quicker in the season and try and wear shorts, at least for 
20 minutes, half an hour every day, even if it's just floating around the house, walking past windows or whatever, you're just doing a little bit. And not that I ever get my legs perfect in the same way that I can get my face and arms and hands, but I just think every little helps. So the more often you can do it, the better. And how do you go about on a holiday abroad getting your hardening? I'm usually fine by then anyway, mm. because I, I wait till October for my holiday. So by then, anything that's hardened to the sun will still have its tolerance. Mm. So I, I'm fine by then. And do you find that if you're caught out and you have an episode, that if you were to go back out the next day, you would be less sensitive? Yes. Sometimes if you can go outside just till you feel the very beginning of the prickly itch, go back in before you've had a full reaction, it settles quicker. So then you can go back out again faster than waiting the three hours for it to settle. You can do that two or three times in a single day. So I don't know, if you had a month in Spain, maybe you would be completely... Almost like you're depleting something. Yes, yes. Yeah, you're emptying whatever's causing it and it's not got a chance to fill yeah, it back I'm, up. I'm fascinated with you know what actually happens, what goes mm. on there, do we know? Well, it, the sort of thought processes are that you have presumably got mediators and this sort of immune reactivity in the skin and the principles of sort of hardening are to low level deplete that but I do recall you saying on occasions where you've had large area exposures that you've actually had quite a florid episode and then that's subsequently you're yeah you've em- much you're, better you're keeping it empty almost yes. depleted oh, right. so the mediators one, and the one sort of it's almost like you've got a finite amount of yeah, yeah, histamines. Yeah. Fascinating. I was interested when you were saying about that first episode on the sunbed and you had to go and lie down. Yes. It felt really unwell. That was the only time that's happened. You've never had that before? Never had it no. before or yeah. again. But that presumably was large area exposure. With this condition, we do warn patients to be very careful about, say, going and doing whole body exposure, diving into a swimming pool or something yeah. like that, because you can become really quite unwell. I'd not ask the obvious question about what this is called, you know. And yeah. So this is solar urticaria, which is actually a very rare light sensitivity condition. And it's thought to be mediated in part by histamine, but there are definitely other immune mediators involved. We don't fully understand the mechanisms of it, but we think that in some ways light alters a chemical or protein in the skin and you produce a sort of IgE antibody, really. And most people will be familiar with urticaria, hives, nettle rash, and that's extremely common. But what isn't common is that hives, nettle rash caused by light exposure. And you give a very classical story of it. It's a really interesting condition because people are often not aware of it and then suddenly become aware of it. So in your case, you were suddenly aware of it after being on a sunbed and you can usually pinpoint, you know, often patients will come and say on the 10th of October, this happened. And that's the starting point. We don't quite understand why that is, why you were fine the day before, but not afterwards. So the typical story is, and it's not usually the sort of typical sunburny UVB part of sun. It is more often the UVA and the visible light, which the sort of light that can be present all year round, so can be present in winter time, can be reflected off snow, can be on a cloudy day. I know you you say you're fine. Oh, I would imagine if I went out days. today and took my t-shirt yes, off. Yes, exactly. Could, yeah. Uh, um, pure red. And the typical story is you do within seconds or minutes 
of exposure get this yeah, immediate no, yeah, yeah. itchy rash sometimes like nettle rash but sometimes more like you described just redness almost ah, like sunburn no. but the difference to some of the other light sensitivities is that it comes and goes over a few hours yes we have increasingly so when we ask the questions seen in patients that they do often have other symptoms so yes. fatigue no. or headache or soreness of the eyes light on the eyes no, i've been lucky soreness. enough to avoid it all um, all i get is the redness stays for a wee while yeah. and it goes away yeah. nothing else so it is pretty rare and it's a challenging light sensitivity condition to try and advise on treatment for because of its immediacy it really can impact quite massively on people's lives um you know if you immediately within seconds or minutes can't hang your washing out on the line or can't go and get into the car to go to yeah. the shops or can't go and pick your kids up from yeah. school even if the rash only does last for a few hours that is still a massive impact and well it can you know, be indoors as well for yeah, some exactly, people and exactly shops and, and internal lighting have yeah. you ever been troubled with internal no, lighting not at no. All. No. no no because it's all year round as well and because it can come through lightly woven clothes it can come through uva invisible light comes through light clothing comes through window glass so it can have particular challenges and antihistamines they can help i'm interested it sounds more that yours the antihistamines help for you in terms of symptom relief rather than actually changing the threshold for you getting the condition you know some patients about a third of patients with this condition will find that antihistamines are very helpful in terms of allowing you to have more exposure before you get the problem i about could maybe take more though I just try and take the minimum. Yes. Can I try and take one? But I think my prescription is for. Yes. Yeah. So we do often use antihistamines yeah. at higher doses because we think that things other than just histamine are yeah. involved. So it does tend to be that about a third of people respond very well to antihistamines, a third partially, and a third not at all. But I do have to put a bit of proviso on that because even if an antihistamine, say, helped you fourfold, in most conditions, that would sound quite positive and quite good but actually if it means that your 30 seconds of exposure yeah, now yeah, only goes to, to two, two minutes, minutes yeah. it's still not often enough to have an impact in terms of improving life so it is a condition that we see we have seen significant amounts of psychological impact you know people getting low mood anxious depressed stressed having difficulties with jobs or lifestyle and things yeah. and i think it's a really important condition to raise awareness of it is a condition that we do readily diagnose. The Scottish Photobiology Service has been present for 50 years to serve patients across the whole of Scotland with suspected light sensitivity or confirmed light sensitivity conditions. And we have a range of different light testing processes and also sort of careful clinical assessment as well to try and work out what's going on for any individual patient in terms of what the diagnosis is importantly which wavelengths you're sensitive to because then it allows us to advise you properly on how to sun protect and for many of these conditions some of them are quite rare and therefore isn't a huge evidence base in studies of thousands and thousands of patients because they are quite rare what we call orphan conditions so it's very important to have sort of centers of experience and expertise that then can sort of collectively join forces to share experiences about treatment approaches, yeah. management approaches, how we can help patients such as yourself. So in Scotland, we're the only light testing unit, but there are others in the UK and we're very close knit. 
we work very closely with some of the other photobiology units worldwide, actually, to sort of share collective experience. There are some new drugs that have come available, like there's a biologic drug called omelizumab now that can be very effective in some people with solarticaria. So if we have sort of feel that we've exhausted other sort of conventional approaches, such as the, obviously the, the basics of sun protection and natural hardening advice, sunscreens, then we would move on to obviously antihistamines in parallel. Sometimes we use immune suppressing tablets, but some of these newer biologic drugs are a bit more targeted to the actual immune pathway that's involved. So for the likes of me, who's not really um, having too bad a time with it, would I miss out on the new drugs? Are they reserved for the most severe cases? Would I just totter along doing what I'm doing? It's, yeah, so what we really need to do through the service is to work with you to find a way. This is a condition that can be quite persistent, as you know yourself. Yes. And our sort of longer term follow up does show around about 20 to 30% of people it does eventually burn out, but it can be quite a long process. So what we have to do is navigate that journey with you and work with you to find the right management approach that allows you to live as normal a life as possible and where you're not stopped from doing anything. That's our ideal without giving you toxic side effects of yeah. drugs. So in, say, your situation, if you are managing entirely well to live your life by adapting around it, taking antihistamines and very successfully managing to naturally harden yourself, then our role is to discuss with you is, is that enough for you and for your lifestyle and life, taking into account that Yes, we could potentially try and improve things via tablets and things, but do you want to take the risk of potential side effects of things? Yeah. So we have a range of approaches. The most straightforward approach is the sensible sun protection and knowing which wavelengths you're sensitive to is really key. So for you, we know you are UVA sensitive. Therefore, using a mineral-based sunscreen that protects you against the longer wavelengths of UVA yeah. is really helpful. I was, I was going to ask that one because my understanding was that you haven't found the perfect... Sun cream. Sun cream. I right? did have, but it's, you now, did have it in... <laughs> it's now unavailable. Yes, yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, so at present in Scotland, if you have a light sensitivity condition diagnosed, you can officially get some sunscreens on prescription. To date, we've been very restricted by what we can provide. Sunsense that yeah. you mentioned is one that we could, but is unfortunately yes. now no longer being manufactured. There is an alternative one called Uvistat, which is still prescribable and there will also be la roche posay the l'oreal right. sunscreen which a, will come it was back an altruist one that i found in a chemist altruist is good and it's available on amazon as well but it was only a factor 30 so i'm not sure if that's the reason it failed they do a factor 52 aye but it's not available on prescription aye. but it was just the week before i went i thought i'll see if i can get something myself but yeah. it did it failed miserably L'Oreal have also brought out another mineral, talking about mineral products, yeah. have also brought out another mineral product that has a hint of a tint in it that actually we've tested in the lab that is at least, if not more effective than the Dundee creams yeah. at protecting against the longer UVA. So that's another option, but that also isn't available on prescription. So we're in a slight in-between. But with, the view of the stuff I had, Rod, was the sunscreen. it didn't go on like toothpaste. Some of the stuff yeah. is oh, okay. really yeah, thick, really white. So when you've got little white Scottish legs and then you're putting Tipex on them as well, it's not a good look at all. <laughs> Whereas this Sunsense was just perfect and end of 
take that away. They are stopping manufacturing it for a few years, they say. But so sunscreen choices, I think you also very clearly show how individual they are. Yes. So what suits one person doesn't yes. necessarily suit someone else. So it's finding a sunscreen that based on its formulation should yes. theoretically suit your sensitivity in terms of the way you don't want to buy a huge to. bottle of something that exactly. ends up not working. But also it's not just about whether it protects you, it's whether you use it. So yes. the best sunscreen in the world, if you're not going to use it because you don't like the feel of it or the formulation is going to be hopeless. So Trying to find a sunscreen that suits can actually be quite a work of art. Mm -hmm. And will, if you take 100 people, 100 people will have different thoughts on it. So the basics are that. But actually also in this condition, it's really important. We don't want people to go and hide away in a room and sun avoid. That's not what we want to do. We want people to live their lives. And we actually want you to try and naturally harden. So getting what we would call low-level, frequent, sub-triggering exposures, like you so clearly describe in your shorts around the house, in the garden, or low levels to try and deplete those mediators and build up your natural hardening. But you do need to keep that topped up because if you were to harden yourself and then go and sit in a dark room for four weeks, you'd lose all that protection. But going back to your question about would you be ruled out from any of these other drugs, we would never rule out anybody. It would all be with open discussion about what was right for you in that situation. So if you were to say, actually, this is not enough and this is ruining my life and I'm not able to live a normal life on this, then we would have to move on and think about other things. So beyond the antihistamines, the next step we would usually think is, is the, for example, a light-based treatment we could use to try and harden you and toughen you up? I've had that one. Yes, yeah. And you didn't feel it was much better than natural hardening. You were in you? for seconds and it was yeah. three times a yeah, week yeah. for 10 weeks and yeah. it was just too difficult to manage your time. But then with those 10 weeks, if you've not been in the sun again, then you've just yeah. lost yeah. all that 10 weeks. So you lose it yeah. quite quickly. Quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So something at home would be fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you see, for you there... The practicalities and hassle and palaver of having that yes. prove more than the gain you got. From oh, it. definitely. But again, it's an option we would always discuss because for some patients, they find that invaluable. Because also, if you did that in winter, you're never going to have your shorts or T-shirt on no, to test to it out. Yeah, so then top, it, it has it been up. a complete waste of time yes, doing it over yes. the winter months. But in the same time, in Scotland in the summer, if it's a poor week weather-wise after that, Again, you're not able to test it. I know. It's too cold. Or yeah, too and we cloudy. do do most of our desensitization in spring and early summer, just so people can keep topped up. Although for people with your condition, if they are exquisitely sensitive all year round, so many people with solar carrier will have wintertime problems. And yeah. then we will occasionally use desensitization treatment in the winter if they're troubled then. So we would think that. And then if those approaches weren't enough, we would think about other what I would call more conventional immune suppressant tablets. So tablets like cyclosporin or methotrexate or some of these other tablets that damp down the immune system in the skin, but they do also damp down your general immune system. So that's sort of taking it up a notch and it's taking it to a level where we then have to have discussions with you about the risk. You know, they're they're pretty safe when they're monitored and I mean, yeah. we use them hugely. And but But it isn't like taking an aspirin. I mean, it is definitely... Yeah a notch up into the next step of treatment. So we have to have those discussions about what's the risk benefit for you. And the reason we use those rather than going straight on to the sort of more the biologic drugs is mainly because of 
track record with those. They've been around for decades and decades. Many of the biologic drugs have now been around for a good wee while, but still not for quite as long. They don't have that track record. Um, yeah. Having said that, the omelizumab now has been around. It's licensed use really is for asthma, but we use it in an ordinary urticaria and we can use it in solo urticaria. And about two thirds of people do find that with omelizumab, it can switch the light sensitivity off. About a third, it doesn't, of course. And I think most health boards are less strict now about making sure that patients have gone through the route of, say, methotrexate and azathioprine. Because we are more comfortable with the omelizumab, we know it's it's got a fairly good safety track record and things. But still, it is still a monthly injection and something that you're obviously taking sort of systemically into your body. So we wouldn't go down that route unless you know, you were saying, actually, this isn't enough, the control I've got now, I need something else. Yes. But definitely you would not just, because you're coping well with it, that yeah. we're very open to discussing yeah. no, it was just what's the right there was thing a for medical you cure Yeah, yeah. Uh, developed, yeah. but it was quite an expensive drug. Well, I mean, obviously it should go to the most severe cases, but it was just whether it would be available to all. Yeah, well, I mean, I think for sure, omelizumab, I think that, you know, if that was something that... You're thinking, actually, no, do you know what? This is it's still a bit miserable for me. Yeah. I'm still, then we would be having those discussions. No, I think I'd be fine with anything. Well, what I'm doing just now is fine. But that's one reason yes. for us keeping in contact with you. Yes. Because if it comes to the point you think, actually, no, my lifestyle's changed and this isn't fine. Then. Yeah. Well, that was my another worry. The biggest worry with this is deterioration mm -hmm. that it progresses or over the years it just gets slowly worse. I mean, we're very keen, Ryan, for. Patients with conditions like solar to catch it, we, we, if we can keep people on our books yes. lifelong, really, that's for many reasons. Uh, one is it allows us, if we repeat the testing every one to two years, it allows us to know what's happening with the testing. Because some patients, they go away and they sun avoid and they think, yeah, I'm great. Actually, we test them and they're still active. Or you test them and it's gone back to normal. And then you say, well, actually, you can relax your sun protection measures. You don't need to be quite mm. so strict. So that's one reason why we keep that link. Yeah. The testing. But also, for continuity for you, looking at you holistically, what's working for you in your life yeah. and managing this and helping you to live with it, impacting as little as possible on your life. Yeah. What we don't want to do is, you know, if you find that as the kids get older and they're starting doing more outdoor stuff and you're limited by it, then that would potentially be the time we would think, actually, maybe what you're doing at the minute isn't quite enough and we need yeah. to think about other things. So we're very keen to keep people on. Well, our I was saying to Steph uh, before that, family are going to Florida in May, I think it is. Now, I've never fancied Florida. I've never fancied the driving and the six-lane motorways or the immigration or the jet lag. So I've came up with this reason that the UV at that time of the year is before my skin's hardened. So I've actually dodged a bullet with this because I really don't want to go anyway. <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that have a nice time. A strategy. Ron, I was going to ask, you, do you know about the people with this condition? You know, are they, yes. Do you have networks of people? Well, we've done um, little meetings on Zoom through uh, Nine Wells here. But I've actually... There's a guy in the town I live in. Uh, I used to see him cutting around with glasses on and a hat on and balaclava. And it was somebody told me that he actually had a sun sensitivity. And I actually stopped him in the street one day and just started chatting. We've got the same thing. So I'd imagine he comes here as well. But his is obviously, again, I would say up a notch or two from mine. But it was just good to speak to somebody else that understood the condition and had the same one. 
I've not seen him again. It was just that one time I spoke to him a couple of years ago, but. And any sort of online networks or have you found resources that have been helpful? To My you? wife's on Facebook. There is a Facebook group, but again, I find that it will be helpful for some people discussing places that you can get tested around the world. Creams, sun creams, there's advice for all sorts of stuff, but it tends to be on the more severe end of the spectrum. So it's not real helpful for me. I've got something that works. I know how to make it work. And, and to be honest, that's all I need at the minute. I think we shouldn't undermine your condition, though, because you're, you're obviously very upbeat and positive about it, and that's really good and stuff. But actually, you do have very significant light sensitivity on the light testing and things and from the story you yeah. gave before you came. So you do manage it very well and you, you know, have taken the bull by the horns and sort of, but it's not to be underestimated. Have you had problems with getting family or friends to understand about it? Or? Yes, because it's not always obvious. Uh -huh. Unless you were to tie yourself out in the garden naked in a sunny day and, and show them how red you went, they wouldn't appreciate how, yeah. how bad it can get. So there'll be a lot of people I work with know that I'm sun sensitive, but I've never actually witnessed it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or they'll maybe just see a wee red itchy bit on the back of your hand because everything else is covered. But yeah. unbeknown to them, it's only your hand that's out, so it's only your hand that's itchy, mm -hmm. but the rest of your body can can, yeah. can get this as well. But no, I'm family, whilst they understand it, unless they went through it themselves, it would be very difficult for them. I mean, that was one of the reasons. So as you know, Ryan, because you're very involved in all the patient engagement work that we're doing in photosensitivity through the unit here, but it is the main reason that we set up all of that sort of engagement programme, because we recognise that photosensitivity has quite a specific impact on people, different to a lot of other conditions. So by doing virtual patient engagement events with patients all attending, the first one we did was at the VNA, mm -hmm. as you know, Rod and um, Ryan, before the pandemic, but then when the pandemic hit, we sort of switched to doing them virtually on teams and that actually has worked pretty well and yes. we do those every few months and actually we've had demand to do them more frequently and one of the feedback points from that is that patients really like being able to talk to other people in a sort of safe space if you yeah, like sort of social, with similar conditions yeah. well if, and you're it might... if you're in your own home you're probably more comfortable to contribute as well exactly. rather than being exactly. in a room full of strangers exactly and that can be anything from the psychological impact of light sensitivity through to how family and friends are coping with it, through to where you get certain types of clothing to yeah. exercise in the sunshine. So we have found that to be invaluable. And we've got a bit of momentum now in terms of patient support group to try it with some patients sort of taking on that to the next level in terms of trying to develop a patient support group with photosensitivity, because it does have quite specific... Yes, I can imagine. You know... Yeah. If you're completely isolated, you might yeah. not have family. Yeah. So all the other things that you would normally recommend to someone in that circumstance, they maybe can't do anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. Join the that, that whole group. online thing for a service that is Scotland-wide makes yes, sense. Yes, yeah. And it was actually one of the big pluses for us, actually, of the pandemic was it made us very quickly switch to initially virtual and then hybrid working. So now if you have you know, suspected light sensitivity and you live in the borders or you live on Orkney or whatever, you're just as easily able to access the service because we can do a near me video consultation yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, we can go quite a long way towards making diagnoses and initiating management before people would even ever come to Dundee for don't actual have to testing. So, or, and and yeah. in terms of follow up, 
For example, you know, we have some patients who come and they may only be able to say for two or three days of testing. So we do the two or three days of testing and then they'll follow up their final testing by sending in photographs virtually. And we can, so we've adapted a ways around it quite significantly. Do you mind me asking as well, do you take vitamin D at all? No. No. I have got some. Uh -huh. I actually ordered some last year, but every time I've had my vitamin D levels taken, they, they have actually been okay. Yes. Um, yeah. And I do still, I am still out through the day, yeah. even in the winter. So I'm no hiding away. So I, no. I should actually be okay. I don't know. It wouldn't do any harm, probably, to take one. But So the reason I ask is because for any of us, the way we get vitamin D is UVB effects, the sunburny bit of the sun yeah. on the skin. So by nature of just living in Scotland, we're already a, a good chunk of us will be a bit low on vitamin D just because we don't get an awful lot of UVB exposure. But then if you're living in Scotland and you've got a light sensitivity condition, and in particular, if you've got psoriatic area where you've got immediate reaction to the sun, you will immediately withdraw yourself. So you're essentially not getting any UVB exposure. Your risk of getting vitamin D deficiency is much higher. So for all our patients with light sensitivity conditions, we'll generally check the vitamin D levels once a year or once every few years. Yeah. And we'll write and say, your levels are normal, you don't need to do anything different, which has obviously been the case for you, Ryan. Yeah. But you know, if, you're, if your levels are very low, it is a bit of a risk for bone health. So we'd advise vitamin D and calcium. And if they're just a bit gray area, slightly low, we'll usually just advise taking a vitamin D supplement and we'll recheck it. But it is something that for bone health, it's yeah. worth. So, yeah, I constantly need reminded about the SFP, you know, the sun, the SPF, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. What, what, what they actually mean and how to use, you know, yes. what's the appropriate word. I'll to take use this one. Well, you, yeah. you, there you go. <laughs> you, you can do that. Yeah. Right. This is my take on it. Yeah. So, your sun cream, it'll have a number, mm -hmm. but that's only related to UVB. Correct. So, if you get a broad spectrum, it's UVA and B. Okay. okay. I've already learned something. So, the UVB light peaks up at noon and drops down again in the afternoon. In the winter in Scotland, you'll probably get very little of that at all. Not your UVA. <laughs> oh, right, it's as bad as that. UVA will be constant for sun up to sundown. Mm -hmm. So, if you're UVA sensitive, uh, summer or winter, you will still get a reaction. And then the, the, your experience of the different levels of protection of sun. I'm allergic to both at the same time, so I would need something that covered them both. So if if I just used a normal sun cream that was only SPF, the other light, the UVA, would still cause a reaction in me. So I need a broad spectrum. I need a mineral one that sits on the top, basically. I couldn't have said it better. Right, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, going to the sort of UV exposure we have. So in Scotland, we really will only get UVB exposure in late spring, summer. So we don't get any UVB exposure in the wintertime in Scotland. If I walked up yep. today. So today is a streaming sunny, bright sunny, sunny, day, day, sunny day. You'll get UVA and mm -hmm. you'll get visible light, but there'll be no UVB today. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that. So an SPF, a sunscreen with an SPF 50, for example, what that strictly speaking should mean is that if you apply it correctly, and we'll come on to that in a moment, that it would take essentially 50 times as much exposure to get a sunburn mm. as it would have done if you hadn't had the sunscreen on. That is where the false level of security starts and stops. So the reality is that nobody, these SPFs are all derived in a very controlled situation 
with healthy volunteers in a lab and applying exact volumes and Very exact different to the real world. Yeah. There have actually been lots of studies done that show the real level of protection is a three or four times less. So a factor 60, for example, is in reality, you may be looking at a factor 20 protection. And this is against the end point of a normal sunburn. Mm -hmm. So for you or I who are not light sensitive, for trying to prevent sunburn. Yeah. And we have lots of people come and say, talk about sunblocks. There is no such thing as a sunblock. Sunscreens actually are pretty fantastic these days. The formulations of them are such that they're cosmetically good and they're easy to use. But a sunscreen is only as good as you will use it. Mm-hmm. So the key thing, I think, is finding an SPF of a decent enough level, so 30 to 50, but that you will like to apply and you will therefore put on thickly enough. But to have awareness that the real level of protection you'll get will be three or four times less than is stated on the yeah. bottle in terms of protecting you against sunburn. So sunscreens in normal sort of protection against sunburning are the sort of third line, if you like, after sort of behavioural adaptation and wearing clothes and hats and seeking out the shade and things. When it comes to sun sensitivity conditions, it's really important that we understand which wavelengths are involved. So in Ryan's case, it is UVB, but it is also UVA and just up to the junction with the visible light. So a sunscreen that might protect you against a UVB sunburn will not necessarily be much use for Ryan because he needs the longer wavelength UVA protection too, which is why you mentioned about the mineral sunscreens, which have the higher concentration of titanium dioxide generally in them, which reflect off the light and protect better against the UVA part of the spectrum. But sunscreens really, they're all relative and the relative level of protection will depend on also what you're trying to protect against. Is it against a normal sunburn or is it against a sun sensitivity condition as here? And again, would complement clothing hats. And so, so it's far more complicated than just going down and picking uh, something off once, a shelf. You, in, you become uh, a little bit of a nerd. Yeah, yeah, you do a lot of Googling and whatnot and your own research online. So, aye. Yeah, the SPF does relate more to the UV. I'm B, just under professor so level really. just now. <laughs> in the next year, I'll be under professor level. The star rating is what relates to UVA protection. But again, both SPF and star ratings, UVA, they, they really are developed with normal, normal sunburn protection in mind as opposed to sun sensitivity conditions. And there are some sun sensitivity conditions where it might only be visible light that's affected, for example, and there advising on a sunscreen that will protect you against UVB is going to be no use at all. Absolutely fascinating. I always learn so much. So I think in theory, <laughs> if you were abroad on holiday at five o'clock at night, Still roasting hot. Take your top off. You're not getting burnt. Is that correct? On holiday still, abroad, you, st- you would still get... You would still burning. burn, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though the bee had went down. You'd still get some UVB abroad at five o'clock. Right. Oh, right. See, I, I, I thought B, a, UVB, B burns, UVA, A, H's. So that was... Oh, kind that's, of, that's a good way of it. Ryan, any other elements to your condition and things that we might have missed or... You'd like to no, it's it's just it's basically on and off. There's nothing lingering. There's mm-hmm. nothing that carries on for days or weeks or hours. It's just in the present reaction and then the time it takes to go away. You will in control of things. Yeah, yeah. 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 So why else? It'd be great if it disappeared. It's 
it's manageable. Yeah. Definitely manageable. Still go fishing, still go golfing, still Fantastic. go on holiday. I'm thankful for, well, now that I've got this, that it's on the, the more manageable end of the scale, so to speak. And you're happy to stay in touch with us and let us keep testing you and keep, yes, <laughs> and yes, keep involved. Yes. I'll need a new sun cream. <laughs> so we'll need to work on that the next yes. thing. Yeah. yeah. And Sally, anything else to add from... Yeah, no, I think I suppose just for anyone listening, if they do think, if it rings bells and it makes them think, oh, have I got a light sensitivity condition, then I would suggest you sort of consult with your GP in the first instance and then referrals will be up to dermatology and then on to us. So we're keen to raise awareness of light sensitivity. And I think that's probably particularly true. Some light sensitivity conditions, because they're present all year round, even the patients themselves might not be aware that light is playing a part or because it's affecting body sites through clothing or on covered up bits and things. And also another aspect of it is that with light sensitivity, and depending on when you go to say, see your GP or see your local dermatologist, it may be that there's nothing to see on your skin too. So I would just say that if you are convinced that you are thinking, this is sun, this is, do go and be seen and- um, Take pictures. Exactly. That's Pictures a good, are good a great, idea. a yeah. great, great tip. And we're very happy to see and investigate patients with light sensitivity. Right. And we usually take referrals from other dermatology departments and we do offer a sort of email advisory service as well. Great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, no, not a problem. For, yeah, to, uh, come up for the day. Learned a lot from you. And Sally, thank you. Thank you so much, Ryan. And, and uh, thank you so much, Rod. No, and then thank you to our listeners. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about sun sensitivities, please have a listen to some of our other episodes. There's also a wealth of information on the NHS Photobiology website. Details of how to find this can be found in the podcast description. And thanks once again to everybody that's been listening. Mm-hmm.